Hey up and welcome to the Temple of Bled. This is a conversation with Mark Shapiro. Uh, I've been directed and signposted towards Mark for a number of years now, but it, uh, it took us a while to have this conversation. I'm very, very happy we did. Uh, Mark's got a very storied career in the music industry, including stints at Mute Records, Roadrunner Records, Ferret, uh, currently rocking the label operations at Ipecac Recordings, which is uh, a label run by Faith No More's very own Mike Patton, celebrating his 25th anniversary next year. Anyway, this is a good one, so please strap yourself in. One, two, fuck shit up. So, dude, I'm, apologies, because we missed the boat like a year ago. Oh, dude, it, it, please. It, <laughs> I don't even know where the last year went. So it's, you know, that that's, a, you know, I mean, hey, that's that's our world right now. So um, still, yeah, time, time just flying by. But no, dude, I'm, I'm glad we're finally doing this. So, yeah, yeah. same here. Um, I hope you're all right with the questions. I mean, it was a bit of a, yeah. a strange one because the, the Roadrunner stuff, I don't I don't do on the podcast as much because right. arrogantly I, I made the presumption that I know everything. <laughs> which is obviously which is obviously untrue but it's this the conversation with yourself mark is 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 a good one because it kind of crosses over into a, a number of different things i want to talk about one being roadrunner yeah. as a constant state of academic intrigue on myself and the rest is like post-pandemic label things yes. um, it's a it's a really boring niche i've buried myself into as far as a youtube channel and a podcast goes which is elevating certain business conversations around music which no one can be asked to do I, for some reason i quite like doing it so here we go <laughs> yeah no, no dude no, that's great hey i mean that's it's the fun you know my wife hates it like well you know go out with a bunch of friends who are all in the music biz and she's like i, I just want to go home i know she used to be in the music biz and she's like i don't want to talk about freaking what's going on in the music industry right now and we all still like talking about it you know so well it's, it's uh, like herding cats so i'm, I'm not yeah. surprised that she's uh <laughs> somewhat disparate on it these days <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean she left a decade ago so it's been a while but yeah but still she's just like ah, i don't want to hear about it anymore you know so <laughs> all right dude let, let's yeah. jump into it so i've pitched yeah. these questions and it's not like a career chronology yes. knowing that we're looking at a particular window in time um and right. by all means if we do go off down rabbit holes i fucking love that shit so just drag me by the oh, rest yeah. of, no, of course and yeah. cure me of my ignorance because i'm i'm still an outsider here so oh, no please and and also I, I i ramble you know if i ramble too much just like try to uh try to be like hey okay next question you know <laughs> i'm along for the ride man i'm along yeah. for the ride so we we reconnected recently because i put out a thing for everyone and who's ever been associated with Rodrina. Nice. if anyone has anything yeah if I anyone so yeah i have stuff and I've i need gotten... to do it it's on my calendar like is, scan is, stuff and I've i haven't done it's good I'm committing this to video. So the, the call out was anyone who has anything physical or anything committed to paper about Roadrunner, which I might not have seen. I mean, like promo visuals, uh, old test pressings, anything, any old programs, anything. I want it for the documentary. Um, and this is, a, it, you know, we're in the long haul though, Mark. So don't worry, you can slack all you want because it's fine. Okay. We've got lots of time. <laughs> no, lots of time. Yeah, um, no, no, no. So no, I'll, I'll get you. I'll, I, I have stuff. I just need, like I said, I need to dig through, dig through things. And um, but yeah, I'll, I, I, it's on my calendar. I move it every day. No, it's cool. I, to, to set the scene, we reconnected because you you mentioned the living um, La Vida Loco tour, yes, which was kind of, it, it, I believe, if I'm understanding correctly, is the genesis of your relationship with Roadrunner. Uh, yeah, my genesis of working with them. Yeah. So, yeah, so how did how did that come about then? Were you part of like a, a, a touring company 
No, so so I moved, uh, so I graduated college, moved to New York in 96, um, ended up getting my, I had internships, I was a college rep in college, like all this stuff for Interscope and did concert committee things. And so when I moved up here, I was, I thought I was going to be a booking agent and I didn't get, you know, didn't get a job doing that. Um, ended up at Mute Records, the UK label, Mute. Um, mm-hmm. And so from there, I had met, it was just, you know, obviously it wasn't a metal, you know, it wasn't rock and metal. You know, we had cool, you know, we had some cool shit. Uh, you know, we had Leibach, we had Prodigy, you know, Prodigy is the thing that really kind of opened it all in me. Yeah. But I just kind of became friends in, with a circle of publicists. Um, and my friend Jamie Roberts um, uh, was one of them. And she, when she went over to Roadrunner, um, that's, that was kind of my connection into starting, you know, to talk to, you know, to meet people there and everything. And so in 99, um, I was this 90, yeah, 99, obviously, um, I had left, I was at mute and I went to this marketing company and I left it and I was just like, I just want to do some cool stuff this summer. I ended up working a work tour and wow. when I told people, I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this work tour thing. Jamie's like, Oh, we're doing this, this roadrunner tour. I mean, we're looking for people to go on, you know, looking for, you know, some people to go on it and kind of do marketing on all the dates. Um, and so what it, so basically she had hit me up. I had talked to, um, I think, I mean, it might've even been Jonas at the time when he was not, you know, not the president. He was, um, I mean, was he had a marketing. I can't even remember. I, what I think was. he, I think he did. I think he started marketing yeah. like eighties left for a bit. Right. And went to like, oh, I think it might have even been water. I can't remember. I've got it all yeah. written down. And yeah, came straight yeah, back then, to yeah, senior. Then, yeah. So, so you know, so I did that. Yeah, Derek was the president. You know, was the president yeah. then. Um, so basically, there was this guy Tom Ty who was on the sales side, um, and then they hired me freelance, and we basically got hired to follow the tour around and do you know in stores, radio, you know, everything kind of you know be the press people, you know, be on site because we had four Roadrunner band, you know, it was four mm-hmm. Roadrunner bands together. So I was like, well, okay, I'm doing this, you know, warp tour, came back for a couple of weeks and then went on the road again. So I got to spend kind of a summer on the road and it made me realize I never want to be a tour manager or anything. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I never want to be on the road, you know? Um, but it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Like we, you know, the thing is we were following in a van, like we weren't on a bus or anything like yeah. that. So we were getting kind of pretty getting to the city before, you know, that, that morning or the night before, um, making sure everything was set up, taking, you know, taking the bands to whatever radio and, you know, whatever in-stores we're doing. And so most of the tour, I did, we didn't even see Cold Chamber play wow. because, because it was, we had to leave to kind of get to the next city because, you know, we didn't have a bus driver. We were just in the van, you know. And, and this going, is pretty, the email's not the main vessel of information yeah. at this point it's that it's it's oh, a bit oh. yeah i mean it was like i didn't i avoided getting a cell phone and you know it's 1999 i finally had to get a cell phone you know um so so yeah so it was just i mean it a lot of it yeah it was emails and we were sending faxes you know there's still i mean there was i mean but it was mostly phone you know it was mostly mm-hmm. a phone thing mm-hmm. um you know printing out map quest directions or whatever you know to get from city to city um but it was yeah i mean it was it was an amazing experience, you know, that, you know, just, and just kind of, I mean, I, I was a fan of all the, you know, I was a fan of all the bands and, you know, I, I was a Roadrunner fan, like basically from, you know, high school and like, you know, learning about, you know, high school, college, all that. I'm 48. So that just kind of gives, you know, some reference of, 
of, of everything. And it, you know, just being able to be on this tour and watching, you know, I mean, probably out of all those bands, Machine Head was my favorite at the time, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just, yeah, being like, shit, I gotta watch Machine Head every night, you know, this so, is pretty it, so, so just to, so everyone who's listening, it's Cold Chamber, Slipknot, Machine Head, and Amen. Amen. And I think there were some dates where that it's up around some someone else would jump um, on and someone else would jump uh, on. Yeah, there was yeah, but I mean it was mostly that, mm-hmm. that was the, the base of it, and you know it was Cold Chamber headlining. You know, obviously mm-hmm. the Living Leader the Loco, you know, off that, um, off the song, and yeah, Machine Head direct support, Slipknot second of four, you know, and Amen. So, um, so yeah, it was it was definitely a it was a cool experience because like Warp Tour. I was working for one of the sponsors. So my hours were like 11 to five. Like when you had booths set up, that's what you did. You know, with this, it was like, you know, 11 to 11, you know, mm-hmm. it was seeing that whole, you know, the whole and watching more of the production and how everything happened on the tour. So it was, it was a very cool learning experience as well. So it's, it's an interesting time. And I mentioned in the email, like the ICP, the insane clown posse thing that sort of kicked it all off. And I'm going to, I'm hopefully speaking to biohazard this Sunday and they were on that tour that Cold Chamber got kicked off of. So hopefully I can connect those dots on camera. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I mean, like that part I don't remember much of because, you know, I, was, yeah. I mean, this was, I mean, obviously I, I remember what I did on tour, you know, the tour, but I didn't realize like, you know, how the whole thing kind of came to be, you know, so. But it, it, to, that kind of just, it illustrates a point in time. And I'm it's hard for me to be nostalgic about it because I was 10. Right. right, I was too busy playing like Lucasfilm games and or LucasArts games as it was now, <laughs> and stuff like that was like my thing. But at this time, as I understand it, I calling this like the second wave of new metal. There's also bits of this where it were post Ozfest '99 Slipknot, so it's fun to hear that you were so Slipknot on the second of a bill after yeah. it kicked off. And it, I imagine like the train had left the station with Slipknot. Did it was was it fucking was it as bonkers as I remember the rumors were of this time? Because this is where you start hearing things like, "Oh yeah, they'd sniff dead crows before they go on stage," and all this obviously stuff that is bollocks. And it was no, I mean, I mean, there was, it was they were crazy. It was a crazy time, and also like you know, obviously them. This was their yeah, I guess first tour after Ozfest, and so you're watching, and like show by show, like more people are showing up in jumpsuits, like. The merch, like Slipknot, eventually was like outselling the other bands on merch. You know, a second of four, and people like. I mean, I just remember Detroit Harpos. You know, just being like, because that's what that was. What you know, a big venue. There's like, fuck, Slipknot just sold how many thousands in merch? Mm-hmm. You know, as a second of four band, and you just saw like, okay, there's something crazy going on here. You know, obviously I'd seen them at Ozfest and and all that, and you know, but and just but the show, like, yeah, I mean, those, I mean, just the energy. I remember like we'd watch from the side of the stage sometimes, and clowns just throwing mics at us you know and you know i remember like i mean sid would do slap fights with people you know with fans you know behind the uh the the venues you know it it was yeah it was i mean but those i mean the guys were also nice i remember like chris was like a like almost like a professional golfer you know and (laughs) like sitting with mick and he's just like you know, he's like, oh, you want to hear, like, he's, he's listening to Radiohead and, like, chill stuff. And in our mind, we're like, oh, Slipknot, you guys are nuts. And they're like, oh, no, he plays golf. He's listening to Radiohead, you know. They're all, like, real people, you know. So, um, but, yeah, it was it was fun. It was definitely was fun this, watching. Yeah. Was this a moment in time where themed tours were, I mean, I know there's always been certain themed tours throughout history. Right. Like, um, well, I, I can't, none are springing to mind in particular, but you have like your Ozfest, you've got family values. Yeah. You've got no you know, there's is this a thing. thing? It was yeah, a thing. Yeah, definitely. And that with that, I mean that time it kind of 
the you know the pledge of allegiance tour you know like the things like that it was it was definitely especially in the the rock and metal side mm. um it yeah having a kind of a travel traveling carnival sort of thing was something that all these bands you know wanted to do um you know because more i mean warp tour had some metal bands you know ozfest obviously you know i mean that's the the, the, the pinnacle of it all mm. um but it, it you know in the u.s never had the big one you know weekend festivals that was never really a thing you know it was always yeah. like this, it was always sort of a traveling thing so that that's what kind of spurred all these like okay instead of it being fifty thousand people it's going to be three to five thousand people you know and it it worked because i mean the economy was doing great in 99 you know it was it was i called it the uh, titanic years of the music industry where celine dion was selling a million freaking soundtracks a week and it just kind of trickled down to everybody because people were just in record stores buying up everything and so mm -hmm. i think a lot of it was you know yep i mean hey this is a bang for your buck. You got to see four, you know, cool bands, you know, on any of the, or even the bigger, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance, which was more of a, you know, arena thing, but you get to see 10 bands for a good price, you know? So. Yeah, I guess that is the, the, the headspace you got to get in because retail is king, yeah. whereas today touring is king. You know, exactly. so yeah. and I was I was going to ask like, what were the what could and just brainstorming what were the major advantages of these theme tours, and you sort of think. Right. All if you get four roger and racks, not only have you got everyone in the same house as far as PR is concerned, typically, yeah. you know, there's there's certain overheads you can save on because you know why would why would we pay four PR people when we can just get Mark? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And you know, I mean, someone on the you know on the road. Yeah. And coordinating all that stuff, and mm. also yeah, retail. We got to do. You know, you set up an end cap that's you know the living you know the tour end cap you know and that's yeah. and that was also the day i mean fye was a big store then obviously now it's you know there's there's not as many of them it's not a, as much of a player but you know yeah they were you know they would be out there they would want to come to the venue and sell cds you know mm -hmm. um you know there and was, if you had a great was, if you had a great set if you went there for machine head and then you yeah. end up loving amen and slipknot then you've made yeah, three, oh, you've, you've, you've moved two units you know yeah, exactly that. so yeah so it yeah i mean especially i mean there's not many labels that could do packages like that also. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that's that, that was a, that was also a special thing because there's, you know, I mean, to this day, I mean, now there's obviously you got the fearless, you know, you have, you know, labels like that, that can do a tour, you know, um, yeah. even if it can, you know, um, but it's like, it's yeah. Road at that time, you know, yeah. Roadrunner was, it, it, it was just like the perfect, you know, perfect storm of all that stuff happening. So yeah, it's, it's hard to have a strong, these days hard to have a strong enough brand, and yes. the people behind it, because the incentives are changed, will come on to stuff like that, hopefully later on. So how did this transition into a, a role at Rodan? And I'm, I'm glad to hear Jamie Roberts' name, because it's a, occasionally yeah. throughout this whole, whole journey of me doing this, like the world revolves around a few people, and Jamie's <laughs> yeah. becoming one of them. <laughs> Jamie, Monty, all that. So it, so yes, it was Jamie again. So the way this happened, so at, while I was on tour, um, I don't think Roadrunner was hiring, you know, they weren't looking for anybody. And I ended up getting a job at Artemis Records, um, which was, I mean, we had Kitty, we had Baha Men, we had Steve Earle, Warren Zevon. It was all over the place. Um, it was like Danny Goldberg and Daniel Glass, who were, you know, music industry legends. Mm -hmm. And I, I basically came in to run the college rep program, as well as do some other marketing. Like they will, because it was, it was a new label. Um, and then, of course, like as I'm, you know, as I'm doing this, I'm still friends with, you know, everybody I met at Roadrunner you know, and, and everything. And then one day 
I get a call from Jamie and because she's again, one of my one of my close friends still to this day. And she's like, hey, um, Corey Brennan's leaving. You should apply for his job. And I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, that's awesome. You know, because I, I had I had actually met Corey when he was at Beggars, like, you know, like because when I was at Mute, he was at Beggars. It was like kind of, you know, like and I was like, OK, that that's cool. So I, I sent in I sent in my resume. Jonas calls me. I come in and he's just and he's like, well, you're not quite VP material. Cause I'm like, I mean, this is 99. I'm what, 24 or no, 2001. <laughs> I'm 26, I guess. Yeah. So, and I'm just like, Oh, Corey was VP. I had no idea. You know, I, I literally, I just said, I didn't know what his position was there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm probably not qualified to be a VP, you know? So, but Jonas like, I have some ideas, you know, let me, let me, you know, let me get back to you. And so he brings me back in and then he, case comes also and so basically the idea would be bring me in as like a director and have somebody you know they would hire somebody else's vp okay. so i you know i have i have great interview with this, like you know jonas i had known already but case so case i'm like you know obviously i'm like scared you know scared shitless and he's <laughs> like you know why do you why do you want to be at roadrunner i was like well you know i worked with you guys in 99 i've known everybody you know it's like it's just a great fit he's like well it's not a social club and I'm like, I was like, fuck, what do I say? You know, I'm like, so, I mean, somehow, like, whatever, I got through the interview and Jonas is like, hey, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, I know the whole, yeah, it's like to say, you can picture Case just being like, you know, it's not a fucking social club. Yeah. Um, so they end up moving Bob up to senior, like basically the senior director, bring me in as like a director. Um, and the basically I was going to be partly under Bob and partly under Mike Canner on the sales side. So okay. kind of like kind of a kind of a dual, a dual thing. I was director of field marketing. Um, because at that time there was there was actually, you know, reps. People would go into record stores and put up displays and, you know, and that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And I also would be, you know, working with you know, kind of like I'm not I guess overseeing Roe a little bit and all that, you know, all that on the on the street, on the street team side. Yeah. So kind of all encompassing, you know, marketing and sales. And um so to this day, like I still until recently, I've worked with Bob on other, you know, and the five B guys on a bunch of stuff. I still do, mm -hmm. and um, I always just, I was just like, oh yeah, Bob, I got you your promotion, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, incredible, but, uh, but yeah. So, but ended up, you know. So yeah, that's how I ended up back at Roadrunner with like a full, you know, a full time gig, um, and then that gig kind of changed a bit, um, which I guess it, I, I what, what, what month? What month? Yeah, what month are we in? Do you remember what month? Because two thousand one's a critical year. Yeah. Yes. So, so when I was there, we, we were with, um, at that time, red distribution. And then the, the switch happened over to universal with, you know, with the Island Def Jam, um, thing. And I, yeah. and so what happened is also when the Island Def Jam thing happened, it was through universal distribution and universal had this whole department of FMRs and ADRs. So field marketing reps and artist development reps. And this is when, yeah, like they had, tons of people around the country again doing displays helping do in stores like doing sales to retail you know like basically like doing promotions to retail because i mean you had tower you had virgin you had you know fye like retail was booming and mm -hmm. so when that happened i kind of transitioned more to the sales department um and was under michael canner because it was all under distribution um so I was the marketing guy in the sales department, basically. So, what would tell, enlighten me on this? And so, what would an ADR do in this context? So, obviously, field marketing get out there and 
yeah, to, to, go to the shops, do the, do the thing. Yeah, um, the ADRs were artist development reps. They just did, I guess, kind of a higher level. Uh, you know, like a they had a bigger territory, a higher level. Worked with the sale, you know, the right. sales reps more and things like that. It was kind of FMR ADR, you know, sales rep sort of thing. So okay. it was that was, and then there was also the college reps under that, you know. Um, so I, they, I guess maybe ADR sort of like the guys that go, okay, uh, this band it, it appeals to a particular territory because there's a legacy there or something like that. Yeah. Maybe you'd get, yeah, and they go, and they go, yeah, just, field marketing goes down and go, right, push Bay Area shit in the Bay Area, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, it, yeah, you know, it was, yeah, it was just, it was like, yeah, it was just kind of a, you know, a, that's the sort know, of hierarchy yeah. of, okay, hierarchy, yeah, thank you. yeah, that's the word I was looking for. So, but yeah, so I all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, there's like 60 to 90 people at Universal Distribution that we need a, you know, you know, be in, be in touch with. So that kind of became my position in there. Um, but I was, you know, but I was also, you know, I was working with our, with our sales reps, you know, with Kathy and Austin and then um, uh, Lou and, you know, then, you know, that became Eric after that. So, yeah. So that was also, I was kind of overseeing them because they were also dealing locally with the FMRs and ADRs. So yeah, mm -hmm. it just became like, we went from, you know, red, which was a great, you know, I mean, I still work with the orchard on, all my labels and to you know going from but they didn't really have this whole they had some reps but then you mm -hmm. also need to go into the universal system and it's crazy you know so um yeah the sea had changed as well you you came into an indie company yeah. and then silver side up and iowa happened within like two weeks of each other yeah. so like, when you migrate when you migrate into this more sales role and you're with uh, mike and, and and austin is it is it now is the is there a stressor on there because where you a great month was a hundred k, all of a sudden that's not a great month because oh, you're yeah. competing with like the great, yeah, yeah, the great yeah. and the good. I mean, they were still we were still an indie label, obviously. You know, obviously we were. You know, I mean, in in the sense, you know, just in the the way we worked and everything. Yeah. But yeah, obviously, yeah, reporting to Island and and all that. But yeah, we were doing more budget. You know, we were doing budget forecasting, all that sort of stuff. So you know, so it was. Um, but it was just, yeah, watching the budget forecast to, you know, go nuts. But I still like, I still remember, you know, obviously we had that we had the power of Island, you know, that helped us at in different mm -hmm. departments and everything. So, you know, it's, I mean, when I was at Mute, we had Prodigy, Music for the Jilted Generation, and we put out the Firestarter single. And all of a sudden, like, I'm, you know, I'm a 21 year old sales guy and people are taking my calls because we have a, a catalog record that's selling. 8,000 a week because they think people think fire starters on it, but they're, they, it's not, and they're <laughs> buying it. But it's so all it takes, you know, and we were only eight people in the U S so it's, you know, it, if you have the right thing, people are going to take your calls anyway, but also having, you know, in 99 when, you know, or 2001, when it was, I mean, everything was blowing, you know, everything was blowing up. Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, we need, it definitely, it definitely helped the cause, but I always, I was like, I think, I mean, I'm sure other people said this, like Island, bought us for Slipknot and they got nickel back as a bonus. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone has ever, if, if anyone yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, I mean, that's, a, that's a hell of a bonus, you know, had, I mean, the, the whole angle here is like had case held on for six months. <laughs> if you held on for six months, like, and didn't sell for six months, like we'd have been in a different world. Hope, well, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I no... mean, it's, it, it, it's so difficult to convey because I've been living with it for so long and like learning about it for so long. It's, I think it's going to be difficult for me to convey just how different the landscape could have been. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It, I mean, you just you don't know. I mean, and 
I mean, yeah, it was just, it was just, it was a phenomenon, you know, two phenomenons, you know, obviously, which, you know, how often do you get to work at a label where it's like two free, you know, you have two phenomenons happening within years, you know, the same year or, you know, and even multiple years. So, yeah. I I feel bad for El Nino as well, because that was the order of of business. It was, Iowa came out August. Yep. It was out of 9-11. And then El Nino was the week after. So they must have seen this like a bang, bang and revolution, revolution. I was quite connected. The record still went gold right I th- wait, yeah, no. still good it's still brilliant but yeah, it must have been like, scary like that that for that two weeks leading up to it going out oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, well especially like you know trying you know obviously everything was like okay hey we got to go to radio now we got to go to radio now you know with with you know with a lot of these bands and it's like yeah not all that stuff works that you know it works at radio but so yeah so I, I wish I had some of those budgets, you know, and I wish I had some of those sales these days you know but that's not you know it's a different world you know so obviously yeah but yeah um but yeah it was i mean the i mean the island thing was cool i mean it it introduced me you know it expanded my you know my network of people and how things work you know i've never worked at a major like my only Mm -hmm. major i've ever worked at was at interscope college rep and you know and obviously artemis was dana like two major label presidents that started an indie label and then roadrunner was like kind of a major indie so it you know i've had my experience but that's yeah roadrunner 100 people what do we have worldwide at the time mm-hmm. or that was a big that's the biggest company i've ever worked for you know wow um, and but, yeah, like, yeah so i've learned you know i learned a lot during that time for sure i'm just turning a fan on if it, if it's loud oh. let me know okay it's uncharacteristically warm in this in this um <laughs> temperate climate of the united kingdom so I can't speak- hear anything. oh so, fantastic so just in terms of thinking back on those times like what was the culture like in the office compared i mean i was going to comp- try and compare it to the the cold chamber tour but it's obviously two different environments yeah I, I imagine i imagine both the working at roadrunner in the idj era in this sort of golden era of the cd was similar to being on tour with cold chamber in the sense that everyone who's working it is in yeah. There's not there's not a lot of nine to fivers at Roadrunner. It's a, it's a oh. different character. There's a different character profile to whoever works there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like if like if you like left at six, people would kind of look at you weird, you know. But it's all. I mean, we we're also like. I mean, a lot of people were friends. We're like going to have, you know happy hour after we're you know going to going for drinks afterwards. We're going to shows however many nights a week, you know. Mm. Um, it was, but yeah, it was it was definitely a lot of pressure. I think because obviously with the success of you know, you know Slipknot and Nickelback okay, what's next, you know, what's next, what's next? And, you know, the rate, you know, we're talking, you know, the rate, you know, radio was a big, you know, a big part of all this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like radio battling with sales that, you know, with this. And it was, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, the, the marketing meetings were not fun meetings, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like, okay, we're, we have to drill down on everything. And it's, you know, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of like, with success brings a lot of pressure, obviously, yeah. because, you know, what, like, yeah, I mean, like with Il Nino not going platinum, it's, you know, or whatever, you know, it's like that. And I remember, you know, like Theory of a Dead Man, um, you know, it was, you know, that, I mean, obviously that they ended up having, I mean, they have a great career, but it was like, it was a struggle because it's not, you know, it's how, how can we make this the next Nickelback, you know? And it's, you know, and I was always, I always, I mean, Austin to this day, because I think it finally went platinum, whatever, like maybe five years ago or something, the mm-hmm. first record. And I always said that if like if that record ever went platinum, I would shave the handlebar mustache that Tyler used to have, and he like hit me up when it did. I'm like, dude, that was you know, there's not, you know that's not happening anymore. You know, that's yeah, it's so. too cool now. It's not really a forfeit. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. So, 
Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was a lot of pressure spent, you know, on the, especially on the sales well, side. Well, was was that the impetus though? Was it to go, we had this great two week run in 2001 with these two AAA artists. Can we recreate that for anyone else and, and create yeah. some sort of like, almost like a cottage industry king making these hard rock acts and turning it into yeah. contemporary radio 100%. hits. Yeah, no, really? I mean, I, I mean, wow. but there was also, I mean, it also gave us the freedom to take chances on, you know, baby bands of all genres, you know, of all genres and everything or subgenres. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, you know, there that that afforded us to take risks on, you know, uh, for our A&R guys to take risks on things. And also, you know, we were able to expose our catalog more, you know, and, you know, I remember we did like the two from the vault things with like gore guts and, you know, all, you know, all those different things, but, you know, which were awesome to do because people were just like a lot of people were discovering Roadrunner, you know, uh, you know, a lot of young people. So, so we got to have, you know, we, yeah, we got to have that fun. And because of the crazy catalog, we were able to, you know, do a lot of stuff with that, but it, yeah. I mean, we were, we wanted, you want one of the, you know, dude, if we could have a nickel back and slip, not every year, holy shit, you know, <laughs> we're going to be on top of the world, but it's, you know, obviously it doesn't work like that, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, but it's still, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of gold, you know, a lot of gold and platinum records coming out of that late, you know, that especially, came yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting who you talk to because like, if you ask Monty, he'll say the glory years was like sort of early to midnight is that's the glory period. If you ask any of the business guys, the Doug Keos of the world and and the Max Turners, they go, "Oh no, it was when we were pulling like seven figures a fucking year as an independent yeah. metal label." Oh yeah. no, 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 it's 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 glorious. But um, in this period, so what? How was your role? I know you're saying it kind of matured into like a like a a, a cross collateralized, if I can borrow that yeah, term yeah, from Casey, yeah, yeah. And, and across different departments. This is the glory period of the CD. So yeah. were you were you just kind of sitting back and putting your feet up and watching it all roll in or was there an impetus to go even though we're doing successful things we have to innovate and we have to deliver and we have to keep going and keep going and keep going yeah uh no i mean because so the thing is it's okay so it's different than the, so the uk music business which i'm sure like when you've talked to other people like there are a lot of stuffs on consignment you know obviously the worldwide worldwide cds are returnable um, vinyl's not except overseas. You can, you know, it's kind of consignment though. You can return it. Obviously vinyl wasn't a player here, but so what we were, what we were dealing with was on this, you know, on the CD side, like, okay, we're making millions of CDs. Are we, you know, are we doing, are we trying to ship, you know, are we shipping too many of something, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, when Target wants to bring something in, even, you know, to the state, like they were, Target would bring, okay, we're going to bring in like 20,000. They'd return 90% of it. Because, you know, if it wasn't the right thing that worked to target, and mm -hmm. so you, all of a sudden you're stuck with, you know, 18,000 CDs coming back. And there was also, that was also the years, um, this is, I, I could go on a whole tirade about how the music industry fucked itself do. with CDs. Oh, okay, I will. do. Um, so Best Buy. So um, Best Buy ruined the value of music, but the music industry let it happen. So that's... I'm going to go, I'm going to go on mute. I'm going to go on mute. I'm going to okay. give you the floor. Okay. <laughs> okay so best buy decides to use music as a loss leader right cds as a loss leader like we're gonna have this 499 in the sunday circular you know these big cds 499 699 whatever it is so they come you know so obviously we want we want to get in a circular because that sold so many records and that circular cost like thirty thousand dollars at that time right but if you did these deals okay so okay hey instead of spending 30 we just give them a discount on the cd so they kind of they, they make a little bit of money we make a tiny bit of money 
but we got this $30,000 ad for free, right? So all of a sudden we're training the, you know, and the whole industry is doing this, the major labels, Indies, like, so that's what we're trying to compete against. And so all of a sudden people are like, okay, they're going on the Best Buy, it's like, okay, what's on sale at Best Buy this week for $4.99 or $6.99 or whatever, you know, whatever it was. And that, all of a sudden that's what people are like, oh, that's what we should be paying for music then, right? Because, you know, if there's, if, you know, if, not Taylor Swift wasn't there, but whatever, if, you know, I could buy a Three Doors Down CD for, you know, $6.99, you know, why, you know, why am I going to pay $18.99 for a CD, which is what, we, you know, we were selling, you know, so not, you know, all that, you know, we were selling $18.99 CDs, mm -hmm. you know, but again, probably looking back, that was a little bit too expensive. Um, so we're playing those games and obviously in the sale, you know, sales department, even though I'm doing marketing, I'm still doing sales, balancing that out, like where, what's, you know, what's the right price? What's the right amount to ship? It's, you know, it, it was a game because you just don't, you know, every account wants something else. And, um, you know, that's when we were also doing the deluxe version, you know, the tour versions of CDs where, you know, you know, six months after a record came out, you were talking about getting creative. Yeah, we had to be like, oh, hey, here's the deluxe edition or the tour edition that we threw in bonus tracks. And it's in a digipack now instead of a jewel case. And, you know, it comes with, or it comes with a bonus DVD this time. Um, where these days people are doing that from the start and then scaling down, you know, you get your deluxe at first and it becomes the regular version back then here's the regular version. And then, okay, let's sell it again to the super fans as a deluxe edition. Right. So there, so, so there was all, so that's my little, like the best, so the industry let the best buy thing happen. We devalued music. That's, you know, I, that's still, again, it, it's one of my, my rants from the last, you know, 20 years, but at the same, oh, sorry, I was I, 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 just so I understand it correctly. It was Best Buy that made this call. Uh, it was the Best Buy circular became such a powerful thing, and I guess I don't know who started it. I mean, it could have been a label, could have been Best Buy. Like, hey, we want to do this cheaper. You know, we want to put frontline CDs for super cheap to bring people into the store, and then maybe you know they'll buy other things that are you know other records, but or yeah, or they'll buy a freaking vacuum cleaner. You know, when they're in, you know, when they're in there. So it. I don't know who came up with it, if it was Best Buy or, if it, you know, or if it was, I'm assuming like it's a major label guy, like, hey, we could sell another 100,000 CDs, but we have to do it at 699, you know, or another million CDs, whatever it is, you know, so I don't know where it came from, but I just mentally, I looked back at it. And I was like, that's where people started being like, wait, why am I paying this much for music when, you know, this big chain store has it for cheap, you know, I mean, Target used to do that back, you know, I, I mean, even. I mean, obviously there was stuff on sale back in the day and things like that, but that just seemed to be that, that when it got to that four ninety nine six ninety nine, you know, thing, that's where it, you know, it was like, yeah, that's where everybody's, you know, and that's where not, you know, Napster, you know, things like that, all that was being there like, shit, I'm, it's not worth, you know, music's not worth 19 bucks. And, and there's so many, there's so many conversations about this. One, the UK experience being HMV was our main retailer. They never stopped yeah. selling CDs for twelve ninety nine until, 2012 when they nearly went under and they got bought out by a canadian company and all of yeah, a sudden everything not, starts becoming competitive yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it's an interesting dilemma but I'm, obviously there's a, a quote from gabe newell who will return in this conversation later on in the valve question talking about the piracy question and the, the value of music and things like that which we'll come to but no that's fascinating i like that well, I, I like yeah there's another part of the oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there's another part of that that dollar thing that was you know something with with case and doug actually 
um like a story that's kind of in that and sorry yeah i don't want to cut you off or anything but it kind of goes uh, into yeah, that whole thing with Go. with with island you know it, it has to do with island def jam as well so we have kill switch engage coming out right and because we were so used to selling cds for 1899 i was you know we we're like well we have this band that came from an indie label you know came from ferret and you know it's now you know i'm here you can't go for like 1390 you know whatever carl you know was selling it for like 1399 to like 1899 and at that same time island had just signed thrice and thursday and they were charged they were their list price not sale price list price was 1299 and so i remember like i was i was fighting and i was in a meeting like a meeting case doug like the marketing meeting and i was like i will bet my job that if we price kill switch at 1299 we will sell the amount of records more that we need to that would equal 1899 um you know and mm -hmm. we'd have more people you know we're competing with the thrices and the thursdays and you know that sort of thing if we want to kind of cross this band over some and i remember like case and doug brought me back into their office and they're like okay if you you know you really you know give us the data you know go do all the research and like kind of put it all together and they agreed to do 1299 and that was like that was one of like i was you know I just felt so like validated, you know, and obviously that record ended up doing great, whether it was the price or not, I don't know, but it ended up selling a lot more than we, you know, we were, we were expecting it to. And, but it's still, um, you know, I don't, at 1899, that time, who's going to take the, the chance, you know, 1299, you could get it on sale for 10 bucks you know that that kind of, you know, it gives people a chance, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, what kill switch did anyway, as, as art, which completely yeah. fresh, but I mean, I'm, I can see what you're saying when the gates opening three dollars down and thrice so are over here, and you're going, okay, if the list, and I'm assuming this, the list price is what the label is saying, yo, red, or in this case, the Universal uh, Field Marketers, this is what you're selling it for, please. Well, for I record store, well, no, yeah, well, record stores, you'd be like, this is like basically, yeah, it's like, okay, you know, an 1890, you know, right now, a 1399 CD record stores buy for nine bucks, you know, yeah. that's, yeah, the yeah, whole, yeah. you know. So, you know, back then we were just so used to selling, you know, 1899 CDs. That's what it was. When I worked mm -hmm. at Artemis, we put out Baham in for 1899. We wouldn't put out a single. So people had to, for who let the dogs out, people had to buy the freaking whole record. We went double platinum, you know, and it's like, yeah, it was crazy. But that's, that was, in, that was the business, you know? So I've got, I've got a Baham anecdote, but I'm going to round off my point. <laughs> it it is demonstrably it, it, it's really fun when those little stories those stories because it just shows like what the kind of autonomy you're operating with yeah right and it's not in your capacity as director of field marketing it was in your yeah. capacity as a dude in the office at the time in front of case and doug right it, it's, yeah. it's it's a, yeah. yeah i was just, yeah. i felt confident enough you know to do it and you know michael canner was just, hey hey let's let's if you want to take the lead on this and try to pitch it you know and it, it worked out and then we so we started how you know for developing artists that we were trying to break you know it you know yes it was less income coming in but it also we had the chance of competing with the other everybody else that was doing you know the the 1299 you know cds and at that time it's good so, for the brand to flood the market yeah. especially when the doors were opening on those other artists and that, yeah. that other kind of um metallic hardcore that post hardcore sound what yeah, we now exactly refer exactly. to as a mishmash of different genres Anyway, Bahaman. Yeah. I think it cracked me up about Bahaman. I think I'm remembering this this correctly. I haven't looked it up um, since I first looked it up. Was when you heard Do Let the Dogs Out, you think, ah, oh, this is a nice, fun novelty, blah, 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 blah. No, that was like Bahaman's seventh album. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was like it was, they were a very well-established artist in Jamaica. Yep. And then, yeah, Steve Greenberg, Esker brought him here. And then he had done he had done a deal with Artemis when we were there. And I still remember in a marketing meeting, like, where he, he had come in and presented it. And they're like, oh, what does everybody think? And I'm like, I think this is the worst thing that I've ever heard in my life. And again, I'm like, at that time, 24 years old. And, you know, Daniel Glass yells at me, you know, and, um, and, and he, I was just like, and I'm like, dude, you asked everybody's opinion. He's like, yeah, but people care what you say in these meetings. <laughs> I'm like, but then why did they ask for an opinion? I, you know, and when they handed out the double platinum plaques, you know, years later, a year later, he's like, never thought you'd get this, huh? And I put a <laughs> sticker over it and put it up on the wall, you know? <laughs> so that's, so yeah, but yeah, it's, but again, that was, I mean, that was also the, the smart marketing of like, Hey, we're not gonna put out a single, you know, people mm -hmm. buy the album. But yeah, you were 100. percent Yeah, they were they were established down there, and yeah. it was and it was actually um, sports. It was the sporting events that actually broke that ban. They had um, we had hired somebody at Artemis to do like sports marketing and get it played in stadiums and things like mm -hmm. that. And that That's that was crazy. one of the main drivers, you know. So yeah, Not mental. It takes it you now to quote Afro Man. How many hits do you need? Yeah. Just just one, one mate. <laughs> just one mate. Yeah. <laughs> um. Speaking of Kill Switch, um, yes. again, and harkening back to something I said at the start, which was yeah. I did the big call out for any sort, any media, anything, especially things that are physical that I can retain digitally and try and keep forever, uh, try and um, sustain forever. One of the people that came out of the woodwork was John Sally um, of Roadrunner Australia. Yeah. Um, and the video that he came out with was um, a funeral for new metal, which was like a big yes. marketing sort of uh, <laughs> shtick to celebrate alive and just breathing. Uh, in your capacity as director of field marketing in the US side, is there anything of that scale that ever went on? Anything as as weird and eccentric? No, I, I mean we. I, I mean, Roe came up with like amazing stuff, obviously on like on the street team side and <laughs> and everything. Bro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I don't know. I was like trying to. I was trying to think of that because that, that recently came up again. Like in metal injection or metal like sucks has kind of picked up that video again. Oh really? And oh I didn't I yeah. didn't know. I've been doing like AI upscaling on it as well. I should probably do the whole thing and send it to them. Yeah, there's there was <laughs> I, I feel like I saw that story again. Uh, I kind of made the cycle, you know. Um, but yeah, it's I I mean that's you know I wish we did something like that here. Um it was more just in internal in the office fucking with each other, but yeah, there was nothing on like on that scale, you know, that on that scale that I can I could think of it was just getting really, you know, it's more of, you know, kind of row was the creative, you know, street, you know, with the street team. That was, I mean, that, that, that was our, you know, kind of consumer facing <laughs> creativity, you know. And not, not to call row out in any capacity, but mate, I'm still waiting for him to pull the cartoon out of the box that he's got somewhere in his house. There was a oh, cartoon. Yeah. Or something. I, I think, I can't remember. He might have told me loads about it, but it might have been a couple of years ago. Or he might have said, just wait and wait until you see it. Yeah. Oh man, I just talked to him the other day. I got it. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to ask him. <laughs> get a little remind because you're. It's coming back a little bit, but yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah. No, I like that's. Fortunately, I was trying to think. I'm like, I don't know if there's, there's, there's probably something, and I'm just missing out on it, and I just, I'm just forgetting. But yeah, it was. I mean, again. I feel like it was more of on more on the street team side with the the craziness of things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um. But either way, before we sort of jump into sort of the the by the numbers roadrunner questions, which obviously yeah. take us down various various avenues, is there anything you want to highlight? Anything that came up which you want to talk about about 
in the Roadrunner era? Oh, God, I'm trying to think. I mean, I mean, I was, yeah, I was, I mean, I was only there, like, I guess I was only really there four years, you know, a little over four years, but, but you know, then plus the 99 summer, you know, so I, I kind of but felt what like. what a run, though. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Window. yeah. I mean, I, it, I mean, there's. Yeah, I think, certain... I think you literally, the, you bracket the, the glorious CD era. Yeah. Like that, that, your tenure order is like that beginning and end, the peak and the decline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, I, I mean, I, I worked subliminal verses. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think like what, like 2005 when I was leaving, you know, when I was leaving, like what was, what was, you know, the. I guess Roadrunner United was kicking off. Well, well, Roadrunner United, that, <laughs> that's, a, so I, I still have never seen the Roadrunner uh, United concert because um, there was a happy hour. Uh, beforehand and open bar Jägermeister I I remembered bands coming on stage and then I don't remember the rest of the night and I can't wait to buy the DVD and actually I, I watched some I, I watched the YouTube that was the first time I actually saw the concert was when they because <laughs> you know, I was there like the next the next morning I could not cut an omelet with a fork um because I was so hungover but that I mean uh, that that was still one of the bad I mean that event and just like the the industry happy hour that we had you know for and it was just it was so much fun i just wish i had seen the concert (laughs) (laughs) or remembered the concert so um that's and that that was my last time drinking jägermeister i think so yeah so that might have been uh i just pulled out (laughs) my jägermeister flag ah nice uh, for something (laughs) i'm doing this weekend road yeah roadrunner yeah it was i mean those those years people still like I mean, again, I'm doing this, you know, talking to you. It's like <laughs> it, that. That's like been the one, like almost one of the one labels that's kind of I've been branded. You know, you're branded with it. It's like that's what people. I mean, it's a, it's still a family. You know, mm. still see everybody. We're all, you know, most people are still in the industry of different things. We were all together at Irving Plaza watching Vended and um, uh, I forgot who else, who they were supporting Bloodywood, and it ended yeah. up it was like Jonas and Bob and me, like it was in Jamie and like. All of a sudden, there's like ten of us. You know, it's like, oh my god, we just had a little mini road on a reunion. You know, so it was, yeah. So that 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 there is that still that family thing, which has been amazing. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and speaking of which, then, can you share your favorite Christmas party memory? There was, God, is it all just? I mean, it's all just drinking. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's like we're just a bunch of. I, I don't know how we all got through it. God, I mean, there was. I don't know. I mean, you've, you've you've probably heard all the the stories about what people are doing in other people's offices, and I've heard, and, I've heard a lot. There's there's so yeah. much which can't be broadcast. Yeah, anyway. no. I mean, it it was just not many labels were doing. I mean, it's there's not a favorite one. It was just like not many labels were doing Christmas parties then. Like it had kind of faded out a bit, and the Roadrunner one was. I mean, that was the party. You know, like even before I was at Roadrunner. I was going to the CBGB's ones because, you know, I guess Jamie or Maria, whoever was inviting me, you know, to them. And then, you know, at the office, it was, I just, I still remember, like, I can't drink orange vodka ever again because one year Steve <laughs> Arts got a sponsor and it was this orange vodka. And I don't even know how much we all, you know, drank of it. And we still ended up going to Old Town Tavern afterwards. But it's, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it was just, I don't, I don't think I have a good story. It's just more of like, I, I wish those things still happened. You know, like I, I opened a bar and I had a bar in the city for five years, like 2010 mm-hmm. to 15. And we, we, we hosted a bunch of, you know, like 
we were all from the music industry that you know had started the bar so like okay we're going to bring back like the christmas party thing you know christmas party thing and have that in our bar you know but it was never you know it was never the same you know so you can't be creative yeah 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 Yeah. so interesting so yeah should we do the best day worst day and it can't be the day you started the day you left yeah no no i mean I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I know I already told the story, but the, I think the best day was, you know, the, the, that, that kill switch pricing thing. It was still like, it was just amazing. Just, I, I got, you know, I got Case to say yes to me, you know, and I got, you know, Case and Doug, you know, mm-hmm. to, to say yes to me. And that was, I mean, as a young music, you know, you know, pretty young music industry guy at the time was like, holy shit, you know, I just, I, I did something that, you know, you know, that, that is you important. did the thing for the band. Yeah, exactly. You know? Oh, I still like I, I remember, you know, I guess, you know, but End of Heartache went platinum high when I was at Ferret, you know, after afterwards. And and they're they you know, they're like, hey, you know, we'll let you know if you want to buy a plaque, you know, even though you're not at Rotor anymore, you know, obviously we're part of you know, part of it and all that. And I was like, You guys could should give me a fucking plaque, you know. <laughs> but so I think I might I bought I mean I, I definitely got one, you know. But it was like, you know, just that even years that you know, a couple of years after I was even gone, I'll off the label that still had made an impact so that that was still one of my you know yeah one one of my best days but um you know and yeah i mean obviously kind of saying the worst day yeah i mean the the having like the happiness of nickelback coming out but then it being 9 11 it's just like that mm-hmm. was it was i i mean i i've told this story to a lot of friends and all that and people in the industry so i i woke up and it's release day right so i took you know i turn on I live on 12th street, right? So I'm below 14th street, which is, was kind of the DMZ, you know, the militarized zone when everything happened. But so I wake up and I turn on the news, I kind of turn on the news and they're like, Oh, a prop plane hit the world trade center. You know, like, we don't know what's going, you know, there's, you know, okay. I'm like, all right. Okay. I guess something happened there. I'm going to go to Virgin Megastore two blocks down and check stock because that's what I did on release day. So I went there and people are like, you know, outside they're like just looking and, I'm, you know, a check stock and I start walking up. So I'm in, so Union Square, so 14th Street, Roadrunners on 20th on Broadway. So it's just, you know, six block walk up the street and I'm walking up the street and everybody starts screaming and running. And that was like, and that was like when the first building, I turn around, first building falls, instead of going home, I go to the office mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's where I was talking about the fight club thing where we're all watching from the window because we had the view straight downtown. And watch mm-hmm. you know, the second building. I was just like, you know, going from something like, okay, this is going to be one of our biggest releases. I'm so happy. Like, I'm waking up. I can't wait to go check, you know, check stock, see how, you know, see the position that we've helped book. And then that, from you that know, that, like, you know, and, you know, no phones are working, but the internet was working and we had AOL Instant Messenger. And that was the way I was able to, you know, kind of be in touch with everybody it was AOL mm-hmm. Instant Messenger. And, you know, and it was, yeah, it, it was, it, it that, I mean, it's obviously a lot of the worst day for a lot of people, but the fact that it was supposed to be such a happy day and, you know, for the label and everything and that, that was, you know, yeah. You know, and as I said, even next week when we sold a hundred thousand records and, you know, like crazy, it was still like bittersweet, you know, a bittersweet thing, you know? So, um, so uh, I know it's, I, I know it's probably a better, like worst day thing. Like if I fucked up, you know, like, you know, there's, I mean, with Chris Masuka had come up with this. I mean, this is just more of a stupid thing. Like Chris Masuka had come up with this. He figured out like on our email things that if you hit, like you could 
type in any name where the email was from, and then you had to hit like the space bar like 30 times and it would put your name, like your real name all the way to the right. So he was sending emails as different people um, to, you know, people. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to send one as Jonas to our whole like sales, like to our reps and just be like, you guys fucked up this release, you know, and all this. <laughs> and I did that. And Kathy replied. And so when he replied, she's like, oh, wait, this came from Mark. So she copied in Jonas thinking that like her computer was fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and Jonas brings me to his office. He's like, leave me out of your email hijinks, you know, you know, and just, and that was like the end of like that thing. But yeah, we were, cause Chris was like the expert at like just messing with people and, and yeah, but just being like, oh, fuck, like I, I go to the principal's office and like, you know, yeah. yeah. Jonas, didn't yell at, you know, Jonas was never mad that much at, you know, and it was like, fuck man, that was, it was just more of like, I felt like a first grader that like had messed up something, you know? <laughs> so I was just like totally demoralized for, you know, for a few days. So, but that's it. Yeah, that's what happens. Always the stupid shit in it. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Wonderful. That's a great Chris, um, Mastuka Solari, which is, uh, him and Nelson Mitchell yep. were the ones who suggested Jerry Cantrell get signed. That's oh, I, didn't realize, I don't think I even realized that. Apparently, yeah, yeah. I think um, <laughs> I don't know the specific. I've got it in an email somewhere, but um, I know Nelson was ma mailroom or he was like office administration. Yeah, so it goes to your point again about like everyone had a voice in the hierarchy. Even though there was a hierarchy, it was a lot flatter than it would be in a normal of an operation of that size. Right. I think it's I think it's a glorious story that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's yeah. Awesome. Those guys are awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you end up moving on from Roger and them? Obviously it's Ferris, isn't it? So it's still in the yeah. family in a way. Yeah. So, um, so one day, like, so Carl, obviously I'd worked with Carl at Roadrunner and then he left, he's like, Ferret was becoming big enough, um, because of from autumn to ashes and, um, you know, for a friend and things mm -hmm. like that, that he had that he's like, okay, I'm just going to go do Ferret. And, um, so he let, he had left and, so one day, I mean, me and him stayed, stayed friends. We were hanging out, all that. One day he, he calls me and he's like, hey, can you meet for breakfast? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So, so I'm like, I, I hang up. I call him right back. I'm like, so you're going to offer me a job, right? And he's, he's, and he's, he's like, what? how do you know? He's like, Who, when do we go to breakfast? It's like, you know, we, we'll, go, we'll go grab a drink. We'll go grab dinner. You know, like we'll go to a show. Who gets breakfast, you know? And um, so we talk and, you know, he's just like, hey, you know, Ferret's doing better. I want to, you know, bring somebody on to help, you know, run the label. And at that time, like Bob and Bob and Michael Canner were not leaving. Like they're, you know, like they were like ingrained in Roadrunner. I was like, am I, you know, how am I going to get a promotion? You know, I was, I mean, I was doing great at Roadrunner. I thought it was, that was going to be my last job. You know, I want, I just want to work at Roadrunner forever. It was my favorite, one of my favorite labels. And just, you know, the chance of kind of being able to help run an indie label, you know, run, run a label was very appealing. And mm -hmm. so, so yeah, so that, you know, so as Carl kind of poached me and Jonas was, you know, so it was like, Hey, can I counter? I was like, it's not really about that. It's about like, I just want to be able to do more. And I, I still remember, I think, I don't think Carl called Jonas to be like, hey, I'm going to talk to Mark, you know, the sort of, you know, courtesy thing. So I know Jonas was pissed at Carl for a bit, you know. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, obviously that all got 
all got smoothed over. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, but it was yeah. So um, yeah, it was really just the chance of being yeah being able to be more hands on and mm-hmm. kind of do everything you know. So instead of just sales and marketing. You know. Did you get ever get a first first hand look at Carl juggling his roadrunner obligations with his ferret obligations? I mean, not did really. he keep did he keep it quite well was, separated? Yeah, I mean, I felt. I mean, I mean, at that time, I mean, now everybody has two or three jobs. You know, like I mean, I have two or three jobs. You know, it's every you know, but yeah, I it didn't seem to be nothing seemed like it affected what he was doing at Roadrunner. So you know, I mean, he was probably working. You know, probably. 14 hours a day, you know, doing Roadrunner and, you know, going home and doing ferret stuff and all that, right. you know, probably doing some, you know, doing calls at work. But yeah, I, I mean, I never saw anything that maybe you know, would make me think like, oh, that guy's slacking, you know, oh, he has a <laughs> you know, like, you know, yeah. team about this. And I think there was only ever one situation where I think someone tried to dob him in for using email either oh, fax, emails well, fax machine maybe a something thing. yeah something like something really tedious and, it might, and i don't even think he did i don't even think he used like a road on a fax machine and it ended right. up being like yeah someone someone dubbed him in like it just being a little bit of a, a brat about it yeah um but no no it's, it, I, i'm always fascinated by that just con- knowing what ferret turned into Right. And just knowing, I just like the idea of him just sort of opening a drawer at his road on a desk and it's the ferret, it's a secret ferret desk. Well, obviously that's not how it went down. At yeah, all. yeah, that's, no, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, Kill Switch, you know, you know, that's, I mean, that came from, you know, I mean, Gitter and, you know, Gitter kind of telling Carl, like, hey, let's, let's bring him over here, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so what, how did the experiences differ then? So you're going to the, from an indie major to an indie indie. Yeah. So, well, I thought first I thought I was going to Jersey City, which is like a 10 minute, you know, path train ride. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. We moved to New Brunswick. So which is like an hour on the train. So all of a sudden oh, I'm like I'm doing a, reverse, a reverse commute from the city to, to New Brunswick. And I only like after like, uh, I don't even know how long it was a year or something. I was like, I'm only going to come in like two or three days a week because it's like it's I'm just too burnt, you know, because they even moved further south to um, oh, gosh. further south in Jersey when I was there. But it was, I mean, it was all, I mean, at first it was just really like four of us. And then we kind of, it kind of, you know, expanded up. And I mean, it, when I left, it was probably um, seven or maybe it was still, it was always still on the label side, pretty small because then they were doing management, like, you know, even Vaughn and Kenny were part of, you know, this channel zero thing for a second. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it, it was, I mean, I got to do everything. And it really like it, it at the end of the day, it helped my career because, I learned international and that's like right. the one thing that I learned the most out of it. Like I was, I mean, I was dealing with the world for everything. So I, you know, and we, I mean, we had, we had people at ferret that were like, I'm um, actually in the UK, Will Palmer and Andy Turner were like the ferret guys. He'd also do metal blade and Will had um, rise above records for a bit. And he has another label now. And it's like, so we had, you know, there was, we had some people on the ground, you know, kind of helping us in different territories, but I learned about the Australian music business. I learned, you know, that, and then we did Sounds of the Underground. So I learned a lot, you know, kind of got back into the touring business, you know, business of me wanting to be a booking agent and, mm-hmm. you know, being able to work closer with Tim Borer and those guys on, you know, and putting together this pretty awesome, as we talked about branded festival, you know, uh, touring festivals. So it, it just, I, I had my hands on everything. And mm. I also lucked out that, I, I mean, I, I wish this happened with every label I worked at, but, you know, obviously from the, the the new metal, you know, when I was at, you know, Roadrunner kind of being, you know, in its peak, you know, kind of the metal core stuff was at its peak when I was at 
um and i was at ferret and yeah, you know yeah. every time i die and you know poison a well and like i mean we sold a hundred thousand every time i die records for a label with four people you know that's i mean jesus you know it's like that's you know we were doing great you know and then mm -hmm. we, we signed in flames for north america for come clarity come fires it you fuck yeah man yeah so it's like they we gave them we offered them less money but we actually wrote like the best marketing plan and <laughs> they they you know they they signed to us for north america and we were like holy shit this is and and luckily <laughs> like that record was an amazing record and it's funny like talking about the internet and all that the record leaked and it was probably the best thing that happened because everybody's like holy shit this record's amazing you know because there were people giving them shit for like cloud connect you know like you know those, those couple of records after um uh uh not after clayman yeah and um and they i mean i always like those records but when people heard come clarity like oh shit and it like it blew up and that you know that record sold you know hundred thousand when i was there so it's like yeah it you know in every little thing i got it you know whether it's the finances this you know i gotta deal with everything so it yeah. was uh, yeah i mean that that kind of changed my career projection you know projection you know doing being able to do that like in a roadrunner i still would have you know would have loved being head of sales or head of marketing or you know whatever and but i still probably would have been in the lane and not you know looking back it's like okay this helped me learn how to run labels you know mm -hmm. so, so um but yeah yeah so it was uh it was fun. Yeah, it was fair. It was fun. I mean, it was, it was fun. I mean, it was, it obviously got stressful and, um, you know, and then obviously when I was there at towards the end, that's Warner had like with, they were doing the deal with Warner. Sure. I was like, so like every label I went to, I was like, okay, is a major going to buy every label I go to? <laughs> um, and, uh, so, so yeah, that, that, I mean, but that's right. That's like kind of when I was leaving, it just had, it wasn't the reason I left there. I just didn't want to look at another, that was also 2008. It's also when, mm -hmm stores were closing and all this and i'm like i cannot look at another return report you know like how many cds are coming back because whatever store shut down you yeah, know? yeah yeah so that that was I the was era just, for it yeah so yeah but um how are, are you doing for time i've had you for an hour oh, i'm good i'm good I'm, yeah i'm good it's yeah whatever you're yeah i've good you're your own pop. boss I'm good. yeah i'm good <laughs> so. i could easily I, I did a lot of work this morning oh i got so I, I could easily ask that and then what and then what and then what but I, oh, yeah. I think no, please, whatever you go. I'm like, everyone talked about. Go on, let's connect me to 2008 to, to Ipecac. Bearing in mind, you, so, you spit a lot of plates, you're not just doing, you're not just, Ipecac, yeah. Well, yeah, well, I, I mean, well, right now, it, it, well, I'll kind of give you the thing. So, yeah, give me the thing. It, oh, yeah, well, it's, it's it's short, it's not like a super long story. So, 2008, mm -hmm. we, I was just like, as I said, I, I'm like, I can't do sales or marketing anymore. And I wanted to do brand partnerships because like, you know, Sounds of the Underground, we had Rockstar Games, we had these things. I'm like, oh, you know what? I want to help bands make money, not off record sales. Like, you know, get them sponsors for tours, get them, you know, all these, so all these different cross promotions. And, and you know, it was kind of the peak of that, even the Jägermeister, you know, the guys, those guys, you know, it's like, fuck, I'll go work for Jägermeister and be, you know, do what they're, you know, what, what those guys are doing, Adam. And I forgot, you know, I forgot everybody's name that was there, you know, Cliff was there after, Cliff from Dry Kill Logic and or Hinge, whatever, you know. Um, ended up being at Jägermeister for a bit. And the, so I literally give my notice on July 3rd, 2008, July 4th, 2008, the world economy crashes. And, <laughs> and I was, and I was just like, I'm like, okay. And I also, in my mind, I was like, okay, I also have this thing about, I want to open a bar, you know? And, um, so we, uh, so I basically, I was still, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm leaving, you know, I'm still going to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'd saved up money 
I was going to talk, you know, figure out the brand partnership thing. I still was going to do some like consulting, like help out. I was still helping out Ferret with some stuff. Um, and, but then I start, you know, I start going to like these, the billboard music and advertising convention. And they're like, we have no budget till 2010 because we all, you know, the economy just crashed. So I'm like, fuck, man. I, you know, I was like, okay, what am, what am I going to do? So again, <laughs> Jamie Roberts um, <laughs> hits me up. Uh, well, this there's probably two, might have been two. So and another, and Mike Gitter hits me up. And so Jamie was like, hey, Dillinger Escape Plan just signed to Season of Mist. Season of Mist like doesn't really, you know, it's a small staff there. You know, you should talk to Ben because I think you know they want to kind of bring on like a freelance product manager to to work the record, you know, in conjunction with Season of Mist. And so I ended up talking to Ben. You know, we had met in the past and everything, and I was a Dillinger fan. Um, and it and they were like, okay, shit, this works. So I started. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna yeah, I'll work this. And then Gitter hit me up, and he's like, hey, Century Media, we just bought Inside Out, Super Bowl. Um, which, you know, I want to introduce you to Thomas to run, you know, to be like the inside out product manager for the U.S. And I was like, well, what if I did it freelance where I wasn't an employee, but I could still do other things? And I kind of pitched that to Robert and Oliver and Thomas. And they're like, yeah, I kind of like this. So I was like, so I'm like, oh, OK, I'm now a freelance product manager. And I, you know, I did. And I was like, I was hoping, you know, I was like, OK. Maybe I'm going to leave the, the label world. I'm going to open a bar. I'm going to do brand partnerships. And all of a sudden, I'm back working with multiple labels. So, <laughs> so I'm doing, so I was, so I had that. And then um, at the same time, when I was leaving Roadrunner, I, I, I hit up Andy Farrow. Um, and I was like, because I was always like, at Roadrunner, I was always trying to pitch like Opeth. And every band I ended up signing, like Monty will tell you about it, my ethereal metal email. Uh, which I can tell you about in a bit, but oh my god, um, that sounds great! I'm going to make that note in case we yeah, do yeah, yeah, the ethereal metal email. But so I go to Andy. I'm like, hey, if there's anything, I would love to work with you one day on stuff because I love your roster. And he's like, I don't, you know, I don't have anything right now. But he's like, I'm going to introduce you to Snapper Music, to K Scope and Peaceville, um, because we have Catatonia wow. and all that. You know, maybe there's something there. So all of a sudden, I started working with K Scope, which I'm still doing to this day. Mm -hmm. where I do one or two projects a year like that they need somebody in the US. So 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 since 2009 I've been working with Snapper. Um so all of a sudden I have all these multiple things and I'm like I'm like I'm not I don't I'm not the person that started the freelance product manager thing but I feel like I was one of the you know in the genre one of the mm -hmm. first people like hey I don't need to be on your payroll you know like let you know let me you know I'll, I don't I don't need benefits like I'll just be there for the projects that you want. Whether it's the whole label, like Inside Out Super Bowl, I was doing the whole label, or just Dillinger, or, you know, just Catatonia for K-Scope, you know, or Anathema, or whatever, you know, so it's a, I kind of, what? No, it's more, it's more of the, I worked all the, uh, um, more of the K-Scope stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, more, more of the, you know, like the Stephen Wilson and, you know, like, um, I'm, I'm working Tesseract right now. Wow. Um, so it's like more, yeah, more of that stuff. Not, it had to be something that was like really you know that had a big you know bigger impact in the u.s and mm -hmm. and all that so i didn't work much i didn't work much peaceful stuff there was only a couple things yeah. um so so yeah so since 2008 um 15 years which is nuts <laughs> i've been this you know freelance product manager so 
every time I kind of had two jobs. So it was like, okay, I had Dillinger and Inside Out. Then I had, um, and I ended up working with Andy Ferrer over three and a half years, kind of as like the marketing guy and North American, like kind of rep. I always kind of had <laughs> these multiple things. So the Ipecac thing now, I mean, I'm almost nine years in. Um, mm. I, my friend, so it goes back to Roadrunner. So a friend that I met who was one of the universal reps, um, Rob Gross, um, we just became friends. We stayed friends over that. And he ended up, he had just gotten a job running Dynalone records in North America. Mm -hmm. So he was, he was kind of, he was like going to be the Dynalone person. I'm sorry, in the U.S. because they're Canadian label, sorry, just in, in the U.S. So Greg from Ipecac called Rob because Rob worked when he was Fontana, like I guess Ipecac went through Fontana and he hit up Rob. He's like, hey, do you want to, you know, we're looking to expand Ipecac um, because of like the Faith No More reunion record. And Rob's like, I just took this job at Dynalone and me and Rob are like massive, like Patton and Ipecac fans, like always have been. And Rob's like, I, you know, I can't do this, but I know someone that would be perfect and recommended me. And so, and then had, had some interviews, ended up getting the job and I was hired. So Ipecac, again, being a small label, the time it's, you know, it's, it's Greg Workman and Mike Patton that own the label. Um, this uh, woman, Sean Pesnaw, was was the kind of one employee. And then so they brought me on and I was doing international and Sean was doing um, uh, North, you know, North America. Yeah. That's kind of how we divided it. And I was I, I also helped out with like royalties and everything, and, you know, other other parts of it. And then, you know, I mean, Sean, Sean left what, like four, like three or four years ago. And so I've it's just been me. And I'm also, and I'm not even full time, you know, I mean, I am, but it's like, I, I do, I mean, I do, I'm the one person, but I also, I was working with cooking vinyl for six years until recently. And, and so I've always, you know, I still have always had the multiple things, but end of last year, I was just getting burnt out. I'm like, I'm just going to do Ipecac, you know, I'm going to do Ipecac. I do a couple of things for K-Scope. Um, yeah, I'll probably have some other business ventures eventually. How, how did you track it? Did you just go Monday's Ipecac, Tuesday's cooking no, vinyl? I, I just did everything every day. I, I just like I live on, my calendar is my to-do list. It's color coded, and well, cooking vinyl. I was just doing North American marketing, mm -hmm. where an Ipecac. I was I doing everything, but we only put out like ten to twelve releases a year. You know, right. so it's not like it's we're obviously it's a bit more selective of a label. You know, label. It's not we're not factory. It's just like we're and it's just it's an awesome. I mean, it's an awesome place. Like we're it's kind of like just like a family label. We're like, okay, hey, should we should we do this? Okay, yeah, like. I, I, you know, I have to fight to do a P and L, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, you know, it's like, wow. it, and it, it's, it's almost like a label by the, by your, by the gut, you know, and it's, um, and I'm working with, I mean, I, I get to tell Mike Patton, no, you know, on things, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of growing up as a massive fan, like my social media names were like, oh, I've been chap no more forever. I was like, shit, do I need to change them to like Mark Dot Shapiro? So I don't seem like a, yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm not a 40 year old fanboy, you know, at the time I started. <laughs> But yeah, so so that so I was you know, this is the first time like this year when I really where I'm kind of back to one main thing. Even though I have other projects, you know, mm -hmm. I, there will be other things that I, that I end up doing. But I just need you know just kind of concentrate on Ipecac and taking a little bit of time. Like so, I'm not working 12, 14 hour days now. I'm you know working more of a, a real day. And but yeah, yeah, and it's but the things that I learned at Ferret, you know, kind of have come back because. Obviously, when I've been doing all these other things with Inside Out and with K-Scope, it's like 
I'm specializing in North America, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's like I'm helping these international labels have a foothold here and, you know, you know, help them with everything, you know, um, you know, more on the marketing and sales side and, you know, and everything. But with Ipecac, you know, now I do, as I said, I do royalties. I do, you know, literally production. I do, you know, and it was all, you know, the stuff that I learned at Ferret kind of has helped me do that. Um, yeah. And now it's like, yeah. I, I guess it would feel a lot more like, because you're the only guy. Yeah. The ownership is, it's a different relationship to all the other jobs you were just like freelancing for, you know. Right, exactly. You're coming yeah. in for a particular project. You're kind of like, because it's a family label because you have to fight to do a PNL. I'm guessing the feeling is a lot more homely. Yes. Yeah. It's, you know, our, I mean, I do royalties. Our royalties are a one page Excel. You know, I mean, I'm doing millions of dollars of, you know, millions of, sorry, of lines of Excel and, you know, all these different, from all these different things. But when our artists get like, it's, it's like, here's a one page Excel, not your 50 page, you know, mm. thing from Warner Music, you know, so mm. um, it's, yeah, but it, it, it's, it's all, I mean, the artists, I mean, just every, I mean, everybody, it's, it's a, it's just a cool, it's a cool place and a lot of autonomy and just kind of get a game to be creative and, mm getting to run with things just because it feels right you know yeah so, yeah, yeah so yeah interesting so yeah so that's so that's kind of but yeah it was doing it was really yeah, it was rob gross you know that that uh you know somebody i met at roadrunner that you know ended up getting me to the ipecac thing which is now you know the main part of my career so that's so crazy man that's bonkers it's, it's, again it's just the world is incredibly small it turns out yeah oh i mean it's right. yeah i mean like Andy, who I bet, you know, at the, my end of Roadrunner, you know, got me the K-Scope thing. Like, I don't, you know, Gitter got me the Inside Out thing. You know, Jamie got me the Dillinger thing. It's like, it, it's funny how it's all kind of come back. Like, I've, I don't know the last time I updated my resume. You know, it, it might, you know, it's, it, it, because it's usually, it's all word of mouth, you know, people and all that. And it's, I mean, I'm, I have no, e we've ever met. I have no ego. Like, it's just like, I'm like laid back. I just want things, I just want bands to be happy and be successful. I don't give a shit if I get credit. I just, I don't care. I, but I'm like, shit, I, you know, I've, I haven't done it. You know, why do I need a resume? I hopefully I'll never have to do a resume in my life. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, the rest of my life, it'd be nice. Mm. So, but it, yeah, it's, it's been, I mean, it's just been awesome that way where everybody and, you know, everybody I've met, we've just, you know, don't burn your bridges, you know, Hey kids, don't burn yeah. bridges. You know? um, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's worked out great. So and uh oh, Nipicax, cool. yeah Nipicax has been an awesome place you know so i'm uh i'm gonna ask the most important question i've ever asked anyone yes. ever in any interview ever <laughs> so can i obviously with Nipicax, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar but i'm not like a geek in the sense that i couldn't go through the entire discography but i thought ah oh, let's see what what's the world if in and i'm noticing you put it out valve like soundtracks like yeah. for the half-life games and i think there was a team fortress 2 thing I know Mike's done voices and there's a relationship there right. for Valve games, but what the fuck's going on? This is amazing. This is incredible. So, this is like, this is like, this, I've got this, I've got this kind of theory, right? If if you're a voice actor and you are narrating a game called Civilization, there's a series of games called Civilization and like, there's a narrator that sort of narrates your civilization through time and typically they get an actor to do that. I think that's the top prestige thing for a voice actor to do in a similar capacity getting like valve releases on your label is like a very prestigious thing in a in a weird way yeah so uh, so it happened before i started at, at epicac sure. um actually i guess portal 2 was the first one um <laughs> so the composer at valve um was in band was in bands that were in the same orbit um as epicac and 
Greg, before Greg started Ibikak in 99, he was running alternative tentacles. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, so they're like, so it was just that scene. So a lot of, like a lot of the composers at these, you know, these video games are guys from bands, you know, that, have, you know, that have moved on to something that's more profitable. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I came into it and basically when I came in, I'm like, what the fuck's this game? That's like, it's a, one of our best sellers. And at, at four CD set, right? And I, so one of the things on the market, you know, on the creative marketing side is in the portal to um, CD package, there's a game card that you unlock something, that unlocks something in the game. And I, you know, people were going nuts for that, right? So we, it's, and so like, we couldn't, like, this four CD set, I couldn't, I don't know, an item, it might have been, I think it's an item code. I think it was whatever. like, I think it was like a playable demo. Of a film, but I remember cool this because uh, we haven't had it in stock since I've been like it's yeah I I have to look it up again because I I'll, I'll yeah you know, I'll loop back around yeah. with you on that one I, but, rem I remember even, seeing something weird yeah but even the physical side like on the on the digital side it is I mean it just you know there's no spot of you know barely any Spotify playlists or yeah. you, know, you know things like that people are just streaming it we don't monetize YouTube because. Uh, Valve wants you to be able to play the music and not have a commercial when you're doing a game playthrough, mm -hmm. and it's just like it's crazy. Like it just it's crazy. Like just the amount. Like I didn't realize how big video game music was. So since I've been there, we did Team Fortress Two, um, which again physically, like I'm repressing it again. Like you know we're sold out. Uh, Dota Two we did, um, which is funny because that's probably out of all those games, it's probably the the least you know the least selling. Even though it, they play arenas, they, it's, know, a, it's a free game. It's a free yeah. game. It's it's, yeah. it's more embedded into like that that esports subculture, whereas like the Portal franchise is like a legacy. Yeah, like it's like the as brick and mortar as you can get as far as Valve games go. Right, and then yeah, and then all the Half Life stuff. Like obviously we we got it all up digitally. Half Life Alex. I, I mean, I, we're we're working on physical for that, um, which will be some you know be something really cool on that end. Mm. And um, yeah, there's I mean. I, you know, I'm talking to you know, the composer and some of the marketing people there and there's other, you know, like, okay, I'm like, Hey, what do you guys have next? You know, we'll help out, you know, we'll help put out any, you know, put out anything, but yeah, I, the, the relationship was just, I think it was from the composer, you know, being in bands that, you know, had, mm -hmm. you know maybe it toured with Faith No More, you know, things like that kind of, you know, back in the day and just being in that orbit. And that's, you know, cause oh, I, you know, I, I don't think, you know, from what Greg had said, I don't think Mike wanted to do, you know, video game stuff at first, you know, like, like, it didn't didn't fit the label you know the, the label doesn't even have a fit like we put out classical mm. we put out hip-hop we put out, you know everything and it's you know it but it's one of our most successful things kind you know? of on brand for valve i can see why it yeah. would fit because valve is like as big as it is it is like this marketplace for indie things as well yeah so oh, yeah. I mean, I, it almost thinks it almost feels like Ipecac was would have been a path of it makes it easier it's just easier to do it this way you oh, know yeah like, better, like it, than doing like working with sony and i mean obviously you know you see the assassins to create soundtracks on billboards in times square you know but it's yeah yeah we're not getting billboards in times square for the stuff but again we have this mm -hmm. sort of underground you know every time i post something you know post something about valve people are like i had no idea Ipecac okay. was doing that you know it's like yeah it's like people it's are crazy day, you know yeah so it's cool it's 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 an awesome relationship. Those guys are great. You know, the Valve guys are great. Just get, you know, we get to be openly creative. You know, it's just like, what do you guys want to do? Like, you know, what should what should we do? You know, it's, it's and, fucking mad. Just to sort of round up your point in terms of video game composers and like guys in bands, and, and just yeah. to, to sort of connect the worlds. Uh, there's a massive Nintendo sixty four game called Golden Eye, 
and you'll remember that hopefully from years past. Yeah. Um, the menu music was um, it might not been the menu music, but there's a uh, there's a movement within the game which is a derivative of of the Bond theme, and it was composed by a guy called Grant Kirkhope, a very famous video game director, and he was in a lot of metal bands. And um, there's a familiar beat, and it's just like it's just like a Bond theme, but it's like do do do. And then he was talking on a podcast how he broke it down. He was like, all I'm doing is ripping off We Care A Lot. <laughs> and he's just ripping off We Care A Lot. It's just do, 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 do. Yeah. And it, that's literally it. He just stripped it down. But it's just, there you go. It's exactly what you're saying. There are these dudes in bands who just compose video games now. Yeah. it's. I mean, hey, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's I mean, fuck, if I could be in the video game business, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes the music business look like this, you know. What uh, you know, what one video game sells in its first week, you know, and compared to what like the whole music industry does, you know, it gives you yeah. gives you kind of a reality check, you know. And that it's fu- it's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. fucking mental. Anyway, I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to discuss what like in, in your capacity as as you know king of Ipecac and in, in, in the the one man band. Uh, what are you seeing at knowing that like the the modus operandi for Ipecac is very much like you say a family values a sort of a very everything's kind of done by a yeah, sure we do it. It's not driven by the same things as a conventional label. What are the bigger challenges these days, specifically post-pandemic? Um, well, I mean, at first it was obviously product, you know, the, the vinyl production side, but that's actually mm-hmm. getting a lot better because of, you know, plants are expanding, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And it so it's really, I guess, being seen. Um it's i mean i guess this has been an industry problem forever but you know there everybody during the pandemic wrote records like i was i mean i feel bad for my friends who are touring you know touring and all that as a label i was losing my mind like we were just everybody's like fans were like hey i made a record i made a record like you know we're at home and i'm like we couldn't keep it was so hard to keep up Mm -hmm. and so there's this influx of everything this was happening every label so there was so much, there was so much music out there and still so much music coming out from all those, re, you know, people recording a year ago when it was still semi-lockdown, mm. you know, so how do you even stick out anymore? Right. You know, on that, so that's on the label side, like, you know, there's record stores. Yes. There's new vinyl record stores opening every day, you know, people, the, the, you know, but they don't have the budget to bring in, you know, that many releases, you know, it's like, yeah. so it it's like that's been you know that's obviously the challenge on the physical side and obviously on the digital side like you know we're ipecac's known as a more physical label obviously with packaging and you know the sort of bands we have you know it's like trying to be like hey give us a shot on a playlist you know it's you know it's tough it's like thank god for Susie cole at apple you know she's like the savior of of everything you know hard you know of promoting rock and metal and you know and everything mm-hmm. and Giving 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 every sort of band a chance. Is, is is this is this where it the power lies now? Is it really in these playlists? Because it's like for me, I, way I'm as a consumer understanding the world is no one makes jack shit from streaming anyway. So the only value of streaming is the exposure to get the to the the guy to the gig to buy the t shirt. Like the right. signal path between the signal path between me writing a song. And me making decent amount of money. I have to hit so many things. I have to write a song. It has to be good. It has to have the right connection. It has to go to Susie to get put on the playlist. Right. To touch the dude, to buy a 20 quid ticket, to go to the get the bus to the gig, to then pay for a hat. 
and yeah. then I've got my five quid. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, it's, it's yeah. I mean, streaming on a major label side, it is help like pop bands, you know that like some you know quick math or whatever. Right? Like so, Drake has a billion streams on one song, one song, right? Mm -hmm. So was that he made two point five million dollars or whatever? You know, let's say made two point five million dollars off that, right? Mm -hmm. Back in the day, if he had to make CDs, ship them, do all that, maybe he made his royalties worth two or two bucks a record, three bucks a record. Mm -hmm. He'd have to sell a million records to equal what that one song did. Yeah. So for someone like hit like major bands, you know, pop artists, it's great. Streaming's they're making more money than ever. Mm -hmm. You know, for the smaller bands, yeah, it's it 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 really is what you just said because I mean it's the same way. I mean that's how I discover music is like you know. Okay, hey, I'm looking on, you know, I'm looking on on Apple or Spotify, and I'm just like, okay, hey, what's a similar artist, or you know, and then I'll get my release radar, and it'll hit me with somebody else, and and uh, then I'll kind of explore that band the same way I used to read liner notes to see who yeah. bands, you know, that's that that's kind of how I looked at. It. But there's, I mean, streaming, even though we're Ipecac's still a very physical label, you know, our top accounts are still like streaming account, you know, are still like really? you know the DSPs because they're a lot of it is, I mean, catalog, you know, thankfully we have a pretty deep catalog 20, you know, next year's our 25th anniversary, 25 mm -hmm. years of catalog, you know, and it's, it, it just, it adds up, you know, there's, that's, you know, discovering new music is tough. Listening to old music is easy, you know, that's, so that's where, um, you know, I, I think that's what's helping out labels as well. If you have a good catalog, yeah, streaming is great because, I mean, how many times can you try to, you know, repackage Eagles greatest hits, you know, and stuff like that, where, you know, like now I put on Eagles radio, you know, and it just, it's going to play Zeppelin, Eagle, you know, whatever. And that's how those bands are making, and they don't have to make any, you know, they don't have to reprint mm -hmm. records, ship them and get them returned and, you know, dealing with all those logistics and there's, it's just, you know, that's make, but once it's a lot of it is catalog. I mean, you've probably read some of the articles, 85% like of streaming's catalog, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but even then, though, to acquire the catalog takes takes a lot. It's still a big boys game, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, but we, you know, there's you you there's still some like small bands that get into the right out. You know, you get into the right algorithm or whatever. I mean, nothing that we can do. It just happens. Mm. It just happens, right? And it just, you know, and there, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh shit, this is streaming millions, and it's being exposed to people, and hopefully, they're they're digging deeper into the catalog. You know, if, if it sticks out to them. Mm. Um, but if that's really you're, you're getting lucky with an algorithm but you know so it's i mean there's so i there is definitely the positive of the streaming like i've been exposed to so many more bands that again as i'm not going to as many shows anymore you know and all that i'm like oh this is how i'm this is how i'm finding things you know it's word of mouth and people you know people kind of uh and i'm seeing getting fed it you know on things so i'm, I'm playing i'm playing with an idea i'm playing with an yeah. idea so one thing I'm going to try and do, I want to do another mini documentary. Um, now that the Roadrunner doc is kind of on the back burner in a weird way, um, right. for reasons I might explain later. Um, I wanted to look into more of the academic stuff that's happening within the music industry and elevating the conversation a bit where I can. And one of the things, and this is why I ask about the challenges, because in the UK, we've also had, because we're a really holistic dem democratic society, we decided to vote to put trade embargoes on ourselves and oh, do the opposite of... 
Yep. I know all about all of this. I work with a lot of UK labels, you know. And yeah, say, you know, we thought we spent 250 years invading countries. We thought we'd now turn it around and what. And it, it's fucking. <laughs> anyway, but the challenges, I can't put numbers to them yet. And I want to be able to put numbers to them. But the challenges that that's creating has been ridiculous. And, and like so many, I remember like back in, I say back in the day, two fucking years ago, if a band announced a European tour, there'd be a few dates for the UK on. Now it's just, nope. European tour is a European tour, and that's just not it. We're not part of it. And because of the pandemic as well, there's challenges there. There's logistical challenges there. And then there's a secondary challenge, which is all the venues that are trying to recoup what they lost during the pandemic are now taking a venue cut of merchandise, which I understand is something that happened in the US anyway, quite a lot. Right. But not right. to the level that we're hearing about these days in the UK. So now it's like, right, this whole British invasion of culture is just now non-viable because no one can get in and no one can get out through right. the, the original, the, the, the conventional cha uh, channel, which is these days touring. That's how yeah. you're going to, that's the business model. Go out and push the record. And if you want to make money, you got to sell some t-shirts. So my idea, and this is just me sort of swimming off the top of my head, is there's, we can't fault the venues for wanting to recollect some of that money. You can't. You kind of is Live Nation because they make more money than Lucasfilm, right? But the independent um, venues, you can't really fault them. So what do you do in terms of the sphere of, of revenue that an artist is going to pull in? You look to the Spotify's and the Apple's and you go, ah, I understand that we're probably going to get more exposure on the streaming services, but it's not going to work financially in the same way a brick and mortar retail will. And I think people are going to look more to lobbying that side to, for a return to what we can maybe refer to as some sort of like retail scarcity. Maybe just put the singles on Spotify, but the now the albums are going to be sold on Bandcamp or something where there's a real like cash over the counter business model to get some money back from that side of the of the whole. It's, no, it's you know it's 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 definitely but I think there's. I mean, Bandcamp's one of our top account, you know, top accounts. Obviously, we don't make money on streaming. You know, they don't pay on streaming, but mm. the amount of physical and even digital downloads, we're like, man, people are still like doing a lot of digital downloads. And some bands I, won't go to Spotify; they'll only go Bandcamp. Yeah, I mean, we're I mean, we're obviously everywhere. Like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I but I feel like people will be like, we do see it. Like, they listen on Spotify, they all that, and they they come and buy the record. You know, they will come and buy the record, but. It's also, I mean, some of it's brand, you know, it's like, you know, on that, on that side, you know, as we said, mm -hmm. the Roadrunner brand, the Ipecac brand, you know, the other Caseco brand, you know, all the, you know, there's, you know, the Fearless brand, you know, Sumerian, you know, all these people, you know, they, they have their, you know, people have their brands so that there, there still is, I feel, I feel like, yeah, there, people are streaming, maybe the band's not going to make that much, but if some, you know, if it's a sort of genre where people are, are going to be super fans and you know they want to buy even more from the band like mm. i listen to a lot of neoclassical now like that's like i love johan johansson and max richter and like all that stuff and i got so because i listen so much to that i get fed all these bands and on you know on, on apple and spotify and then all of a sudden i'm like oh we race tapes and these labels and now all of a sudden i'm diving deep into that and buying because i'm these these are cds i never listened to downstairs i have like three thousand vinyl you know mm. and so i'm like i'm still buying things and i'm like I wouldn't have just, I would have never known any of this stuff if it was if it wasn't for the streaming services. And I probably, you know, spent hundreds of dollars at, on all these, you know, on these bands and labels. And there's other people like me. I'm a jilted industry guy and I'm spending yeah, yeah. this. So there there is a business to, you know, to 
for that, you know, and you just have to find, it's a smaller, you know, it's a smaller market, a smaller pool of people, mm. but you just super serve them, you know, and that's, you know, there's, there's bands that could make a, you know, make a living off of 5,000 records and touring, you know, how are, you know, how are they do, but, you know, I mean, yeah, not, there's too many bands. There should be an application to be a band and put your music up. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, that, that should be the movement is like, you guys have to like, pass like an iq test or whatever a, a quality test and then then you're allowed to put your music on you know online but mm. um but yeah there's i mean but i mean again it's always going to be a problem you know there's some bands are going to benefit some aren't but there's there, there are too many bands there has to be some way you know there's got to be you know there's gotta not everybody's going to be successful you know mm. um mm. but it's i mean i there's the good and the bad of the, the streaming side that's i still the see power of the dollar in it because the successful yeah. bands are the ones that make the money and that's how you quantify yeah. how good yeah. They are. Or, yeah or be you know being able you know but you know you were talking about challenges like touring's now a challenge because I mean, not only because of the you know the borders it's because okay all these people didn't tour for three years the same as the venues fuck now everybody's on the road but meanwhile every like you know magazines and newspapers are shut down there's one writer you know that's supposed to cover a thousand shows and you know that hit austin texas like how you know there's mm -hmm. how, you know there so you can't even get you know even on the touring side it's you're you have the same challenges as the as the label and streaming side because there's a glut of touring like how do you decide what to go to you know how you know what's where are you going to give not everybody goes as many shows as we do we you know we need a black crusade 2 roadrunner that's what we fucking <laughs> need i've been saying yeah. it for years yeah oh, you can man. do it like all the bands that are on that first one are still around you can definitely yeah. just do that man I but know. yeah and yeah i'm sort of i think um i'm sort of playing around with the ideas i know it's not it's not a scalable hypothesis right is it because i know some big as you say like drake well, he's not gonna fucking leave spotify but right. at the same time, yeah. like there's a bunch of it'll just go on Bandcamp and they will make more money on Bandcamp than they will on streams oh, because yeah. because well, of that, they're a part of that super served or their audience is that super served audience which are just like oh yeah there's that there's the the five dollar customer there's the twenty dollar customer for the deluxe and then there's the, the seventy five who gets the vinyl and the ticket and this Twitch experience blah, exactly blah, blah. but band, I mean like band, I mean Bandcamp has been amazing because it's like. For like, I'll use Ipecac bands because it's that's you know who I do it mostly for. Spotlights, Dialect, um, Daughters, like Human Impact, like those bands are 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 big. The Oxbow are our big mm -hmm. bands on Bandcamp. Faith No More, Eagles of Death Metal, nothing like they. That's Interesting. Like, yeah, like you know we people go on iTunes for that or go on Spotify for that, you know. Um, but it's yeah, Bandcamp. It's like it's funny because even with like. It's all on the Ipecac page, you know, um, and it's like, but yeah, those, th those are not Bandcamp artists. Like you can even sell, even with an indie label, within the indie label, you can see like it is those, you know, the smaller to mid-level artists, you know, I mean, Melvin's mm. does, does great kind of across the board, but it's, yeah, I mean, but it's awesome because yeah, for, you know, for bands, you know, bands, bands like Spotlights and Oxbow and all that, this is a, it's a freaking great income source, you know, yeah. you have that loyalty. These are fans that are loyal, you know? And because they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I can stream, you know, I can stream, a, I can hear a song three times for free before I buy it. So they'll buy it just so they can have that in their Bandcamp collection, you know, mm. and mm. it's, it's great, you know, it, it's been, and it's, it, it's just, a, it's an awesome platform. Don't care that we don't get paid on streams, you know, it's not, you know, not a big deal. We'll, you know, we'll get stream money, any, you know, the, the, you know, quarters of a penny elsewhere, 
you know, but it's it's fine. You know, it, it works out great. Don't so, tell Valve though, because um, Bandcamp's owned by Epic Games these days. Oh yeah, well Valve. Um, well, no, we have. They don't care. We have the Valve. Stuff. I, I don't know. We can't. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I know. It's um, but it. Yeah, no, I remember when when I saw that. But it's uh, yeah, no, it's it's and, and Valve. Valve does okay. I mean, it's not Valve's on on Bandcamp. It's still more of a, you know, it's definitely more of the the regular streaming services and the physical side. It so. is. It's my mate Carl who bought the Streets of Rage Four soundtrack when it came out on vinyl. It's more for him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, I'm 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 still playing around with the idea. There must there's got to be for a new band, like I said, a new metal band or something that started in like say the last three years. There's got to be a model which is like the most optimized. And I'm I'm surprised that like. In fact, I'm not surprised at all. Like SAG and the Screenwriters Guild mobilized yeah. around this this very sort of like streaming centric um, dispute. Very streaming centric. The yes. artists in the music industry know how how exactly how they've been fucked to the penny for a right. number of years. But there's no way you can mobilize like musicians in the same way. It's they're herding cats to the nth degree. Yeah, and again, there's I mean, I mean, there's a lot of shit film and TV out there. But it's like there's there's I mean there's so many you know the amount of musicians the amount of TV shows and movies is like I mean it's crazy amount of musicians compared to the you know millions of musicians versus you know thousands tens of thousands tens of thousands of actors you know so uh, maybe I'm underestimating you know obviously underestimating things but it's yeah there's a lot more musicians than than actors you know so yeah it's it's gonna yeah. be hard. I mean at least there's you know like the Neva you know the national you know National Independent Venue Association like there's there are things, you know, organizations out there that are fighting for that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't speculating that there should be a, a, a general strike of musicians. Oh, no, 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 I know, but, yeah. I know well, what you mean. It. There should be, there should be a strike of musicians. <laughs> yeah, give me, yeah, a, yeah. Give, me a month give me a month off, I'll be happy, you know, yeah, so. <laughs> it's just interesting that people don't, because the discussions always are, yeah, it's daylight robbery that the venues take this amount. It's like, well, there's a, there's a whole, there's a three, it's called 360 deal for a reason. There's a whole myriad of different revenue streams that, should be lobbied for and they get anyway yeah anyway. no I mean, yeah it's it's it, oh i mean it's yeah it, we could talk for hours on you know yeah, yeah, on, yeah. It, we'll, you know some i don't know if it'll ever be solved but you somewhere know. somewhere in that conversation mark is the frontier is yeah. that's like that's, that's what i think that's the frontier we might just need a big swinging dick like of a q prime sort of size to sort of push it into whatever yeah. direction it needs to go but it's you know just a matter of waiting and seeing and speculating until that point. That's what that's just what I'm playing around with in my head. Yeah, no, no, it's, trying it's, to build I mean, some uh, something informative it, around it. Nope, it's 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 a. I mean, hey, it, it, it's our you know my career. You know, I'm trying to figure out how you know what's the best way to make bands money. You know, it's you know yeah. and make them successful and give them a career. You know, yeah. not just make money, but also like a long you know longevity. Like I mean, freaking Melvins do it great. You know, it's you know they put out a lot of records they know how to tour like it's kind of the clutch you know like with clutch you know mm. you know clutch is gonna sell this many they're still selling out two three thousand you know two thousand cap rooms whatever they've like it's a great they've done a great business and they're not like hey let's write let's try to write a radio hit and you know expand even more like no we've we've we know where our fans are we're gonna we're gonna super serve them we're gonna tour you know tour when they want us to you know like they they do it right you know and mm. it's like that that i feel like you know, again, yeah, Melvin's, Primus, Clutch, like that sort of level of band that these bands have been doing it 30, you know, 30, 40 years now, you know, it's, it's just weird saying, you know, but it's like, they, I feel like they've, they're the best business people because they've like, yeah. they've yeah. that balance. They've never tried, you know, like 
they've done they're, they're at the top of their game and they're you know and they're making money and made a career out of it you know a, lo a long career you know so i had like a not an epiphany but like you know when you sort of think about things over and over again you find different ways of explaining it and expressing it yeah obviously with roadrunner I've, 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 the way i came to a conclusion was like a, a label is any fucker with a, a logo and a copyrighted brand right. and a laptop that's any label a good label is the same but with some resources to throw at someone Yes. A great label is all those things, but has the foresight to actually manage an asset and sorry, manage a liability and turn it into an asset. And that's what we're talking about in terms of serving the audience. And I realized a band is also the exact same thing. Yeah. And when they're working in symbiosis, that's when you have wonderful, longstanding uh, careers and, and, and story arcs and all the, the fandoms that can um, be served and can generate uh, an economy around yep. just bad yep. fucking music. 100%. You know, yeah, like if you just sign a label and be like, hey, I'm just going to be make art, you can't do that anymore. You're, you you got to be part of it. You got to be part of the business, you know. You're you, you nailed it there. You know, yeah, it's like yes, you can be an artist, but you also have to, you know, be a promoter and be a business person and, you know, and do everything in that. Otherwise, because there's a million other bands that are doing that right now if you're not going to. Yes, if you yeah. write some freaking amazing songs and you get them in, you know, and it just you hit that stroke of luck then yeah then you can be then maybe you can afford to be an artist you know but if that, the first that's if, if the first decision you're making as a band isn't deciding between google workspace and microsoft office then you're fucked yeah. <laughs> and you're not awesome. a you're not a band <laughs> that's awesome i like that <laughs> so what last question unless there's anything you want to want to add so what's next for ipicac what's what's on the horizon um, well, I mean, next year's 25th anniversary. So, um, you know, we, I mean, we, I've been digging back through the catalog. I mean, obviously doing a lot of vinyl reissues and kind of, you know, just doing a lot, you know, a lot more on uh, the catalog side, mm. um, which is, you know, which has been, which has been great because again, the rec, the label started, you know, 99 in the two thousands, it wasn't, you know, it was a CD, it was a CD world, you know? So a lot of, you know, so I'm working on, you know, we're working on catalog promotions, all that. We have some new signings, um, we put out this artist Venera, um, uh, this guy is kind of, you know, experimental electronic stuff where um, next, well, next week, this this won't be airing next week, but it's actually, there's actually a little bit of a Roadrunner connection to it, which you'll find oh, out. By, 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 yeah. So, but I mean, just a a, 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 a tiny one, but it's, um, so. Um, We're spoiling? Uh, I can't spoil on this because well, when, when this isn't airing next week, right? So yeah, I'd love it. I'd love it to air next week, but and I then think... it, no, I won't spoil it. You'll see. Like, yeah, no, so... I, can, I can. I'll make a commitment not to if you, if it's easier. <laughs> no, no, it's I, okay. I actually, I actually don't think I'll have time to edit it. In time. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll tell, I'll tell I, I don't want. I don't want you to. I don't want you to join Michael Cantor in the yeah, yeah. ten months down the road. No, no, but it I'll tell you. Be. I'll tell you after we're done recording. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so that um you know there'll be melvin's it's melvin's 40th anniversary this year so wow. there's you know they're working on new stuff for you know they're about to tour with boris and they got stuff next year and you know Bung bungle's still you know freaking touring and everything which is great Bumbling along yeah so yeah but yeah there's i mean we're just kind of you know it, you know it's funny like we're not going to do like massive like the roadrunner 25 sort of thing but it's more of just like kind of yeah kind of just celebrating the catalog you know mm. um is really how we're you know how we're looking at it you know so um and but yeah then I, you know whatever there hasn't been many you know there's we always have new signings you know but it's not, not that many every year you know it's a, it's again because it's such a family thing it's like oh you know we have you know mike from dead cross his project or this you know and like 
it's yeah kind of uh um things always show up that way you know mm -hmm. i feel like that's a good 50 percent of our releases is like oh okay it's someone that's from the family has a you know has a new record coming out um and then the other 50 you know the other 50 percent is split between catalog and some new signings so um so yeah so yeah there's not yeah i don't have anything like to reveal but it's just yeah we're gonna we'll have some fun celebrating the 25th you know yeah so. a, bit, a bit of retrospective a bit of business yeah. as usual yeah so which is great hey, these days we can do business as usual and be good you know that's that's uh i'll, I'll take that 100 so. <laughs> percent. all right well for the recorded section of this podcast also anything else that you've, you've um uh no dude I'm, I'm glad we finally i'm glad we finally got to talk you know it's yeah <laughs> and it's yeah i mean from roadrunner to, to now you know it's, it's like fuck man i've been doing this 30 years but since college you know between college and now and it's uh, i'm still smiling you know somehow and about and about all the people we've been talking about that's the reason so and yet i know it was a good one because like my cheek bones hurt yeah. <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> no, i'm glad i'm glad man this is yeah this is great so and then in the edit we'll have faded out here and the little bass line will come in and now we're into the, the off the record stuff. Oh, yeah, no, yeah.